We'll do today the 11th day of Mar Cheshvin, the 11th day of Cheshvin, and um, this is in the year Tofresh Samachtes, which uh, places it 105 years ago. Today we're actually in Tofshinai and Dalet. This is the yard site of Harav Kodesh, Reb Shneir Zaman Arin, known as the Razo. In short, Reb Zaman Arin. He was the oldest son of the Rebbe Maharash, the Rebbe Maharash being the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, and his oldest son, the Razor, his Yorzeit, comes out on the 11th day of the month of Cheshvan. And uh, the Razor was a very special individual. He was very distinguished in the house, in the family, a family, in the members of the Rebbe's family. And he had outstanding a talents. He was uh, very talented and he had a very exceptionally uh, beautiful character and uh, after his father the Rebbe Maharaj passed away being the oldest son one would expect somebody of this great stature of such uh, uh, intellect and emotional standing would be the older one would be the one that would follow his father to succeed him uh, the Rebbe Marash died as a young man. We learned he died at the age of 48. And we would expect the older brother. However, he refused to accept the leadership. The leadership went over to his brother when he was younger. The one after him was the Rebbe Sholem Ber, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. The fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe was all of just in his early 20s at the time. And uh, he... Uh, he actually didn't fully start, as we've learned earlier, he didn't fully uh, take his father's place till about 10 years later after a time. He didn't go move up right away because of respect for his older brother, for the Razo. But the Razo himself, he was a business person and he was uh, uh, able to do a lot of good with his, with his money. Uh, he was able to do a lot of good for the benefit of the Jewish people. And people at that time, you know, needed all this support, you know, that they can get. It was a very difficult time for the Jewish people in, in Russia at the time, and they needed a lot of influence. And he was able to help them in various different ways. Now, his father-in-law, he, in his first marriage, he, this, he had a second marriage, but his first was his uncle uh, was Rabbi Yisrael Noyach from Nezhin. We learned that was the fourth son of the Rebbe Maharash. Uh, so again, he married his cousin. That He married his first cousin, just like we uh, learned that the uh, Tzemach Tzedek married um, that the um, um, the um, that they married uh, the uh, cousins, uh, the Mitla Rebbe's uh, daughter uh, married the sister of the of his sister's son, the, the Tzemach Tzedek. He married, so just like they married cousins over there, first cousins, because as we said that the Tzemach Tzedek's mother, Tzemach Tzedek married his first cousin because Tzemach Tzedek's wife was his first cousin because his wife was a daughter of the Mitla Rebbe, and his mother was the Mitla Rebbe's sister. So in this case, um, he also married his cousin, 
which was the daughter of Yisrael Noach, the fourth son of the Rebbe Marash, who became an Admur, he became a Rebbe in Nezhen, as we've already uh, studied earlier. Um, the previous Rebbe, who was uh, a nephew of the Razah, because the previous Rebbe, that was the sixth Lubavitch Rebbe, was the son of the Rebbe Rashab. So he describes who his uncle was, that's his father's brother, the Razah. He says that he was naturally a, a very good a very good person, but yet at the same time, he was a very strong, in other words, he wasn't a, he wasn't a softy, but a good, a good person. And he had a lot of uh, ailments, and he was a lot of time in a great, in a lot of pain, but he was always with a smile. Never, you can never tell in what kind of uh, uh, physical uh, pain he was. Uh, it was a sort of a, a, the smile was sort of a, a, a downplaying pain, you know, pain. saying, yeah. just downplaying it, not paying attention. My father was just like Yeah. yeah it's understood that um, uh, he, he never shed a tear, you know, you know yeah. never had self, self-pity, he wasn't, he never, but yet, uh, it was only his own pains that he treated with that kind of uh, attitude, but uh, somebody else's pain would really affect him, would touch him, and um, at a point when he was uh, listening to somebody else's, his, his smile would leave and uh, his... Uh, his, his sad face and uh, with uh, teary eyes, uh, he would do whatever he can to help the other individual. There's a story told about that the Rebbe brings down in the Sikhas that about that one time uh, his brother, being the Rebbe, would accept people to uh, visits, uh, what we call Yechidas, time that they spend with the Rebbe, and people would come and they'd go in and out and they'd speak to the Rebbe. Now, one time this individual comes in to the Rebbe, Rebbe Rashab, to his brother, and he comes out there and he's crying bitterly. He is like so upset and he is beyond himself. He's hysterical. Hysterical, hysterical. He's sobbing uncontrollably. There's nothing you can do to stop him. So the Razov felt terrible. You see, this guy is there in such, such uncontrollable uh, pain, uh, crying like that. So he goes over to him, he says to him, what's happening, what's the matter? Maybe there's something I can do to you. Why are you crying so terribly after coming out from the meeting with my, with my brother, with the Rebbe? And the person said that um, I came to the Rebbe and I uh, asked him about a problem that I had, a spiritual problem, something. And the Rebbe told me that he can't help me. <laughs> and the Rebbe told me he can't help me. You know, and I was, I'm devastated. I'm shattered. My life is, he can't help me here. So the Raza says to him, just wait here a minute. Let me go and I'll have a talk. He was the older brother. Let me have a talk to my brother. He goes into the Rebbe Rashab, to his brother, to Rabbi Shalom Dovber, and he says to him, is that the way you treat another fellow Jew, he comes to you, he asks you for help, and you tell him that you can't, that you can't help him? How is, that, how is that possible? How could you do something like that? So he said, so the Rebbe says, okay, you know what? 
send him in another time. I'll talk to him again. And this time, he came out all happy. The Rebbe told him what to do and how to fix it. So the Rebbe discusses this in a uh, talk. He says, the Rebbe Rashab didn't need his brother to tell him that you have to help another Jew. That you, you, you have to see to it. What, what, what's going on over here? Why did he tell him that he can't help him? And then he sends him again and he helps him. And the Rebbe explains very interesting that, you know, sometimes our remorse or our desire to fix or to repent isn't really wholeheartedly. It's only externally. It's only on the outside that we are sort of saying, okay, let me, let me say I'm sorry, but it hasn't touched you. And the Rebbe Rashab saw that this fellow had a very thick skin, and even though he came to ask him that he wants to make up and he wants to fix what he has done in his life, he made a mistake, but he wasn't really meaning it fully, fully, and it was sort of, that skin was still blocking him. So he wanted to get him to a point in which he would really shake him up. And when he told him that he can't help him, that alone caused him such uh, anxiety. He was so upset that that broke through that shell, that layer that didn't allow for him to come out and uh, shine so that now he can actually help him. So the Rebbe Rashab had all intentions of helping him even to the beginning, but it just needed to go through the process. Sometimes, you know, it's like you have to take a bitter medicine to get well. Sometimes you got to operate. Sometimes you got to cut. Sometimes you got to do things that are a little bit painful because you got to heal in order to get the healing. And it's not really uh, for the purpose of causing pain, God forbid, but rather it's actually as a very, uh, a very important uh, task. What about now, today? I mean, can you? Who do you? Who, the Rebbe today is who, or there is no Rebbe today. Uh, well, we still have our Rebbe until Mashiach comes. Uh, we don't have him physically with us, right, spiritually, but we have uh, the Rebbe has left us uh, enough material to keep us going, and he watches over us and looks at us. And so we, no one after there's nobody physically no physical. over here. No, this yeah. is uh, the Rebbe has said uh, many times that the seventh generation, his generation, will be the last generation that is gonna bring Mashiach, and Mashiach is gonna come, and we're still waiting for that. Uh, for Mashiach to come, so there is no, there is no. You can't go talk to anybody. Or... Well, you can talk to many people who understand. And the Rebbe actually instructed people to appoint for themselves what they call a mashpia, that is a, a spiritual guide to help explain to you, to uh, uh, interpret, you know, uh, the different uh, instructions from the Rebbe. Uh, but today, you see. Everything within technology, it's hard to imagine. Uh, in the previous generations, it would be almost impossible to preserve the message in such a vivid way as we have today, because today we have all the different videos, all the different books and the different teachings. And, you know, we, can, we actually are still every moment being guided by all of the Rebbe's life, inspiration, and enthusiasm. Now... There's a difference, though. We have to choose to want to live by it. 
you know, when the Rebbe was physically with us, we, there was no denying. Now there is a test because you could say, yeah, you could, one can argue, and some people choose that and therefore they forget about what the message is and they cause sort of a separation between themselves and their, and their leader and the Rebbe. But those who choose to hold on continue to live by the Rebbe's guidance, by the Rebbe's message, Rebbe's instructions, and they don't deviate. Now, of course, uh, we want, uh, and uh, it's important to have a person physically that you can talk to, but that was Hashem's choice. Hashem did what He did, but that's known to Him. Well, it's, it's coming up on, on 20 years, you know, I mean, it's uh, coming up, not yet, no, that but was, that was the last long time, yeah. Um, okay, so, the, let's just finish, the Raza uh, was someone who was able to also give over a story accurately, which means he had a lot of information, he would listen. They call it in Hebrew a, a Baal Shemua, he was somebody who, who can listen and absorb all the back history and the details of the stories. And the previous Rebbe listened tremendous amount of stories from him and uh, as the previous Rebbe write, it's very easy to listen to a story than to read a story. It's, uh, it's easier to listen. And especially when you listen to a story from a talented and a, uh, a person like my uncle, like the Razor, Zaman Arin, that every word was like shining. It was uh, beautiful the way he would relate it. And every sentence had a living, gave you a living description. You can actually vividly see when he would tell the story. Uh, during a gathering, the Rebbe Marash, the father of the Razo, once was praising his sons. And as far as his son, the Razo, he says he has a real powerful head and he can think two thoughts at the same time. They call it today multitasking. <laughs> he, he can actually think two things at the same time. Um, they once said that there was once a fire and uh, uh, happened and some of his, uh, it was a big loss over there and uh, they were trying to tell him he was just napping at the time. So he told him when the fire gets a little closer, he can uh, wake him up. <laughs> and he says, and they asked him, how come he doesn't worry? He says, look, he says, do you worry about something that happened like 10 years ago? No, I've long forgotten. You know, that, you know. She says, I, my thoughts go so fast. You know, the worry that I had. That I, I, no, I go on. I don't, I don't worry about anything already. There's new stuff. Sometimes there is told that one of the uh, children of the Hasidim uh, became sick. And the Razo served as his sandik. He held the baby at his bris. So one of those children got sick, so the father of the child came to the Razo, to the Sandik, to ask a blessing. And the Razo stood up, and he was facing the window, and he sang the song of the Alter Rebbe, a special song known as the, 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 the Song of the Four Stanzas, that has the, the Arba Bavis, that's the song they sing by the weddings, by all Chabad weddings, they sing that song, and on special occasions, they sing the Alter Rebbe song. And... And when he finished singing, he turned to the chassid and he told him, go in peace, the child will live, he said. Uh, on the, 
a Fabrengen on Yud Aleph Cheshven Tovshin Yud Beis. That was the uh, yard site of the uh, uh, Rebbe, the, the, the Razo, at a gathering at that time. The Rebbe said that the quoted the Rebbe Marashab, quoted the Rebbe Marashab, that he also cannot really appreciate, fully recognize the great humility of his older brother, the Razo. Uh, there are many uh, Maimorim uh, discourses authored by the Razo, and several of them are found by my father-in-law that were written with his handwriting. Uh, Your father-in-law? No, no, the Rebbe's father-in-law. Yeah. Is quoting the Rebbe? No. The uh, Razo passed away only at the age of 51 years old. I mean, his father passed away at, I said, uh, 48. He was 51 years old. 51 years old. A day before he passed, uh, one of his close uh, uh, people uh, uh, came in. He was sitting on his uh, chair, and he began to laugh very, uh, very strongly. And um, he says, you're going to see what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, the Hevra Kadisha, that's the uh, burial society who uh, take care of the, of the corpse, the, of the, to bury the person, says they're going to have to make a new coffin, he says, because he was sick and he, he became very, very heavy because of his sickness. And what happened is the next day he passed away. So he knew, he says, tomorrow is going to happen. But uh, before he passed, he actually burnt himself all of his writings that he wrote for tens and tens of years, uh, he put it, the ashes he put into a small sack, and he uh, instructed those people that are close to him to put it in with him in his, in his grave. And he's interned in Vitebsk, notwithstanding the fact that we said before that there were some Maimorim, I guess, that were salvaged, that were by the previous Rebbe, we said, but his own writings he did. And, um, what, what done. Well, it's kind of hard to know exactly, but one, one thought that perhaps comes to mind, uh, the Rebbe talks about the humility um, that uh, he possessed this great sense of immense humility. Uh, you know, maybe he didn't want any of his writing to interfere with his brother who actually became the Rebbe who actually was the rabbi. He wanted him to be get the full credit and felt that maybe if there was other writings, somebody else might choose and say, well, I like these writings better or something like that. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know if you can say something like that. Or he didn't maybe feel that whatever he wrote was worthy enough to... Uh, to uh, then, I mean, certainly he asked to be... Uh, buried with them, so he did consider that important, he considered that an investment of his, of his lifetimes. There was such a conduct in other great tzaddikim as well, there was such a conduct, but uh, it's unusual, that's to say the least, it's unusual. There's Had a, other people read his writings in his lifetime? Had he shared? So like I'm saying, there were some of the writings that did, did, did survive, uh, did survive, but uh, again, there's a lot of the, the previous Rebbe uh, wrote a lot and related a lot, and therefore the his uncle, the Razon, and again, it's closer to our generation, it's just two generations ago, so 
we know and we hear a lot about the uh, the Razo, Reb Shneir Zalman Arn, the eldest son of the uh, Rebbe uh, Maharash.